listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how the pandemic has driven a significant demand for real-time data analysis on cloud and edge environments. Real-time autonomous decision-making is vital for things like scaling remote work capabilities, pivoting to telehealth infrastructure, or establishing video surveillance tools for tracing and mitigating the virus's spread. However, organizations are limited in their ability to achieve real-time analysis with AI due to the current size and speed of deep neural networks. Joining me today to talk about the matter is Dr. Eli David, who is a pioneering researcher in deep learning and neural networks and is also the co-founder of DeepCube. Hi, Eli. Welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Great to be here. Great. So to start off, can you tell me a bit about uh, what we mean when we talk about real-time analysis and how that ties into deep learning? Real-time data analysis is a, is a wide umbrella term. Different people uh, mean different things by that, but generally speaking, it refers to all the sets of analysis that must process the data in a timely fashion. Uh, to give you some examples of that, in uh, video surveillance, the moment you see something, usually you have to react quickly. Otherwise, the data would not be as relevant. Another example would be um, for uh, website advertising. When you enter a website, the back end, the algorithms, must decide quickly to analyze the data and decide what advertising to, to show for you. Um, autonomous driving, even though it's an example of edge device, the moment there is an input a data from one of the sensors, this is a case of extreme real-time analysis. They have to quickly analyze it and result in a certain decision. In financial transactions, you're paying with PayPal. They have to take the data of transaction and quickly analyze it to decide if the transaction is legitimate or fraudulent. So. These are all examples of the kind of analysis in which the timely reaction is important. And to contrast that, we have the other type of analysis in which you can take your time, you can do it uh, nightly analysis, over the weekend analysis, aggregate the data, and then perform the analysis. So these are the two big families of uh, analysis that we have as far as the reaction time is concerned. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are you seeing are some of the, the major benefits that organizations that are implement, implementing real-time analysis are, are seeing? Nearly every company, whether that's a, a Fortune 500 company with uh, serving millions of customers on the cloud or server-based, or a company with lots of edge devices, nearly every company have a mixture of challenges with some of them are real-time and some of them uh, are not. Now, by the nature of them, and because of the uh, the reaction time needed, the real-time analysis is much more challenging. So many companies are lacking in that part. So nearly every company can improve improve their revenue, reduce their costs, uh, if uh, increase their safety, their accuracy, if they uh, are capable of performing that uh, real-time analysis. So one example was, the, the prime example is in uh, finance uh, transactions, fraudulent transactions. Each millisecond that you are faster and more accurate results in a huge reduction in costs due to fraudulent uh, transactions. In uh, another good example, autonomous driving, many companies, even those that are 
seemingly considered behind and not at the forefront of uh, autonomous driving, you would be surprised that even they have very good algorithms in the laboratory, but they're not managing to bring it to deployment because of lack of capability for the real-time uh, analysis of the data. So many companies that do have certain analytics capabilities must then do the further step of bringing that capability to real-time for it to be effective. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that um, it's... Uh, the, the tooling um, or, or those capabilities aren't yet, you know, uh, able to be implemented from those organizations or do they have to kind of um, have a better way of doing so? That's correct. Yeah. There are many examples in which, uh, especially in the field of uh, the most advanced subfield of AI, which is deep learning, uh, companies that have spent uh, lots of uh, uh, that have dedicated lots of resources. They have very good results in the laboratory and their research side, but now they are struggling with the deployment because of the unique challenges that are present here uh, that simply they cannot scale. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and now that we touched on, on deep learning, can you tell our listeners what, what is the difference between when we talk about deep learning and machine learning? Because I've, I've often seen that the two terms are conflated with each other. Indeed. Actually, I see many people, uh, mostly inadvertently, but sometimes intentionally, uh, misuse the terms deep learning, machine learning, and AI. So just to go through them, AI is a wide umbrella term for anything that exhibits any kind of intelligent behavior. Uh, for example, IBM's Deep Blue that defeated Gary Kasparov in chess in 1997, it has no learning capabilities. It was just one giant chess calculator, but it was definitely AI. The most subfields of AI are, do not require any learning capability. One specific subfield of AI, which is called machine learning, encompasses those subfields of AI that allow the machine to learn by itself, by observing the data, rather than being explicitly programmed. So machine learning is a subfield of AI. Within machine learning, we have numerous different subfields, different machine learning methods that are based on different mathematical or statistical principles. A certain subfield of machine learning is called neural networks, which instead of taking inspiration from some mathematical or statistical principle, neural networks takes inspiration from how our own brain works. Our brain is comprised of uh, billions of neurons and the uh, neurons are the brain cells and the synapses, the connections between them. Similarly, in the field of neural networks, we have artificial neurons and artificial uh, synapses. Now we managed to make neural networks deep, many layers, hence deep neural networks, which is synonym to deep learning, which is the same. So mm -hmm. deep learning is a subfield of machine learning, which is in itself a subfield of AI. And, and so is this uh, the deep learning side? Is that still very much uh, like being expanded? Is it still in its in its uh, infancy stages uh, in order for it to be implemented for real time data analysis? Or is it sort of uh, already there and just needs to be utilized more? So. Just over 10 years ago, the field of neural networks was considered almost refuted to the extent that when I started teaching a course on neural network uh, almost 15 years ago, I had trouble getting approval for calling the course neural network because of the name. Why would anyone want to teach something that is already refuted? Mm 
So through a series of breakthroughs, both algorithmic and hardware breakthroughs, today we are at the stage in which due to deep learning, we have witnessed the greatest leap in performance in the history of AI. Nearly every exciting AI development you see today from Amazon uh, Alexa, Apple Siri, Google Assistant, autonomous driving, medical image analysis, etc. they're all driven by deep learning. Now, deep learning is extremely computationally intensive. And there are two parts to that. One is the training part, which is okay. You do it only once. You do it in the laboratory. Imagine you would like to train a deep learning model to detect uh, fraudulent transactions. Let's uh, use our example. So you gather a huge amount of data, typically millions of data samples. You train this deep learning model. It runs on very expensive uh, hardware for many days sometimes. But now it has been trained. You have a trained model that you would like to put to deployment. Now, in deployment part, for any new transaction, it has to immediately say if it's legitimate or uh, fraudulent. But if you put it on a standard hardware, it will take too long to react. It will not be relevant. And uh, similarly, imagine you would like to put the deep learning model you trained on an edge device, on your mobile device. Today, for example, uh, all our allegedly smart devices are nothing more than a microphone and a speaker. All the intelligent part takes place in the cloud. So imagine we would like to put the deep learning brain on the device. Today we can't due to the huge computation and memory requirements. Hundreds of megabytes, sometimes even gigabytes of memory and high-end processing power. And today we have a huge gap. There are many applications of deep learning that you cannot simply put them on the cloud. For example, you need low latency, that is fast reaction time. Uh, you have a high bandwidth. Imagine video. You cannot continuously upload the video from your device to do the processing in the cloud. The uh, connectivity, you don't always have connectivity. Imagine in the case of drones or autonomous uh, vehicles, you don't have continuous connectivity to the cloud. The, and finally, and one of the most important things, privacy. Today, any intelligent device essentially sifts all our data, our private data, back to the cloud. If we can efficiently deploy uh, deep learning models on edge devices, then our privacy is preserved because the processing is done on the device. So these are some of the huge challenges today we face in the deployment of deep learning models. And, and how much better and, and faster would you say that these, uh, the real-time analysis would be uh, when it's utilized on the edge as opposed to the cloud? Like, are we talking exponential differences? So there are several approaches. By the way, on the cloud side, we also have huge problems um, as well. So today, even though we, uh, many companies do use deep learning on the cloud, it is on the most expensive hardware. Oftentimes, NVIDIA's GPUs, or uh, if it's uh, Intel or AMD CPUs, are the most uh, expensive ones. So it's a very, very expensive thing, and that's uh, uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, problems for the large-scale deployment for companies, even for some of the biggest companies. Mm -hmm. So there are several approaches here. One is trying to create more efficient hardware. The field called the uh, so-called AI hardware accelerators which are um, different startups working on that. For example, the Israeli Habana, which was acquired by Intel for $2 billion. There is Graphcore in the UK uh, that are trying to create more efficient hardware. There are those who are trying to do it for edge device. And there are companies 
we're trying to do this acceleration using software alone. For example, the company I co-founded uh, two and a half years ago, DeepCube, we are doing software acceleration, typically over 10x speed up on both data centers and edge devices using uh, software only. So these are some of the approaches that hopefully in the imminent future would allow for much more widespread uh, deployment of uh, deep learning models. I see. And uh, moving on over to uh, how the pandemic has kind of affected this, um, what, are, what are some of the effects on how, uh, how much more important it is to have real-time analysis? So the pandemic has uh, underscored and actually accelerated two trends that we were witnessing even before that. One, that uh, now that people are working all over the place, you have less and less centralized uh, processing. So being capable of doing the analysis in a much more distributed way on edge devices and different platforms become more and more important. Uh, the second thing that has uh, happened is never in history in such a short period of time, uh, researchers from different fields have generated so much data. And it's not only genomic data or vaccine analysis data, even epidemiological data. You look at the huge amount of data gathered uh, from the, uh, the epidemiological investigations uh, that are conducted, automatic analysis that are conducted. So we see that there is a huge amount of data that requires analysis for prediction and insights. And it's very important to take timely action. If you gather the data and then analyze it over several days and until you take action based on that, another day or two passes, we see in how the COVID spreads, it's irrelevant. You have all the data, all the good analytics, all the correct conclusions and the correct decisions, completely irrelevant. So everyone now figures out that all those components are indispensable, they're critical, but as important is the speed of processing. If you can take the data, process quickly and take action quickly, it's absolutely relevant and you can track and control the spread. Otherwise, it becomes completely irrelevant. So the COVID pandemic uh, underscored the importance of timely analysis of data like never before. Right, right. Yeah, time is definitely of the essence when it comes to this. Um, and one of my last questions is, what are you seeing for the, for the future of uh, implementing real-time uh, analysis? Is it going to be something that's going to be pretty ubiquitous between uh, most organizations implementing it in some way? One of the most important things to notice is not the current uh, static uh, status of a certain technology, in this case deep learning, but to look at the trajectory. Mm -hmm. uh, history shows that, that the trajectory is much more uh, meaningful than a certain point in time. And if we look at the trajectory of deep learning from 10 years ago, in which it was almost considered the refuted field of study, to today, in which we are seeing almost every day mind-boggling improvements, we see that we're still on an exponential improvement track. So it would be unwise to, to predict what's going to happen two years from now by looking at what's happening today. But if you look at the graph of improvements, even things that we can measure, just the, uh, for example, the size of the models, which correlate with their capabilities, with their intelligence, we see that almost every year we have over 10x improvement in that field. The accuracy is improving in the fields that we never believed we could uh, obtain this kind of success. 
So I think in a matter of a few years from now, deep learning will be almost everywhere on every device, whether that's a mobile device, autonomous driving, a camera in data centers, for any task, medical analysis, healthcare, retail, defense, uh, finance. I don't think in uh, two or three years or definitely in five years, we will have any company or any device that is not heavily based on deep learning if we follow the current trajectory. Great. And um, would you like to tell our listeners also what, what are some of the, the big projects that, that you've been working on uh, when it comes to deep learning through your research and through DeepCube? Certainly. Even though we have amazing results with deep learning, there are still a huge amount of inefficiencies that we have. Just to share with you an uh, intuitive example. If the state-of-the-art deep learning models that we run today, they require multiple GPUs. That is in total thousands of watts of power. Our brain, which is still much larger than the largest deep learning model, at peak performance when you're playing chess in a tournament, doesn't surpass 50 watts of power consumption. It means that our brain is extremely efficient. It means that the algorithm our brain is using, the algorithm driving the neural network in our brain, is by orders of magnitude more efficient, more optimized than what we have invented. So it means that there are still a huge amount of improvements yet to be discovered. And DeepCube was founded, we founded DeepCube, and now we're a team of uh, over 20 deep learning researchers, we are focused exactly on this field, how we can make deep learning much more efficient, to train faster, to deploy faster, to be more accurate. Uh, we are the first that now enable uh, running almost any deep learning model on edge devices, over 10x improvement on data centers. And these are just based on the initial results that we have, initial research, the first eight patents that we have, and we expect over the next few years to have additional such breakthroughs that hopefully will bring deep learning closer to the kind of amazing algorithms and the efficiency that our own brain has. That all sounds super exciting. Is there anything else that you feel is important to add that I haven't asked about? Well, thank you very much for, uh, for this uh, uh, conversation. And yeah, uh, I look forward to speaking with you again and then telling you about additional exciting things that are happening in AI as we speak. Great. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> well, it looks like that's all the time we have for our show today. And I want to thank you again, Eli, for coming on the show and talking to us. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And thank you to all who listened in today. Be sure to check out all of our weekly episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform. Till next time, this has been What the Dev. 